This podcast is brought to you by the Wharton School at the University of Pennsylvania. Well, last week, President Biden held a summit at the White House to look to address some of the issues around supply chains. Certainly, that has been an important area of focus uh, for many people after uh, some of the issues that popped up during the pandemic. It exposed a variety of concerns that need to be addressed to modernize the supply chain as we move forward over the next several decades. Marshall Fisher, professor of operations, information and decisions at the Wharton School, focuses on this area and he joins us right now. Marshall, great to have you back with us. Thanks for a few moments. Uh, Thank you, Dan. Looking forward to it. Thank you. All right. So give us your sense on, on the importance of doing this type of a summit and what hopefully it will bring forward in the uh, in the months ahead. Sure, happy to. Um, maybe start with a quick recap of what it is. So it's an effort to reduce inflation by strengthening supply chains. Uh, it's very high level. All cabinet heads are involved. Um, a little bit of funding, $500 million, which is not a huge amount of money in terms of the federal government to fund certain key things, kind of oil the works in the supply chain. Um, and much of it is a continuation of existing efforts, increased domestic production of essential medicines, invest in clean energy, uh, strengthen the domestic food supply chain. Uh, Department of Transportation, Department of Commerce are, are supposed to assess supply chain vulnerabilities and address them. Um, Focus on domestic manufacturing, but also working with other countries, EU, Canada, Mexico, Japan. Uh, What was missing uh, from the list of countries they talked about is there were mostly developed nations that Mm -hmm. buy stuff from less developed nations. Thailand and Vietnam were the were the only countries in the list of networks they, they were going to work with as part of this initiative that I would put in the category of countries that supply more developed nations. But, for example, Bangladesh, um, missing from the list of countries. Um, right. So, so that, those are some of the highlights. Um, in terms of a grade, I would give it an A-plus for what it's trying to do, but obviously an incomplete because <laughs> they're just starting. Sure. So the devil will be in the execution details. Um, I, I find it I find it interesting, Marshall, that part of this is also being discussed in terms of how government agencies will try to do a better job of sharing data about a lot of these issues. And that's been a big topic of discussion on a variety of fronts. But I guess in this scope, uh, with what we went through with the impacts from the pandemic, to be able to open the door from agency to agency can be a great benefit in a lot of these areas. Yes, exactly. And you think about what's the appropriate role for government, and a lot of it is producing data. Um, NOAA, the weather service, for example, uh, a lot of supply chain chain disruptions are due to weather, uh, and they've been around for a long time, highly regarded and do a good job. So I think sharing of data would be um, would be an appropriate mission for this group. Um, I thought about you know what's the link between supply chain resilience and inflation, and I thought this is sort of a novel uh, approach because what is inflation? It's an imbalance between supply and demand. 
Uh, we read frequently about the Fed and are they going to raise interest rates, uh, and, and that's been the primary tool, raise interest rates to reduce demand. If you've got an imbalance driving inflation, you can either increase supply or reduce demand. So far, we've focused on reducing demand, uh, but this is um, gives us a two-pronged approach. You know, let's make sure also that we improve supply by by avoiding disruptions to supply chains. How important does, you mentioned the component of medicines, but how important does this also become, especially if we're going to see the type of build-out that has been projected around something like uh, semiconductor chips as well? Um, you know, I think... Um, if you talk about bringing essential things home to the U.S., <clears throat> the, the tough question is what's essential? What do you bring home? Um, I I'm tend to be a skeptic about domestic manufacturing. Uh, and oftentimes it's an attempt to create a kind of fortress America but I, and, the, and that's appropriate in some places, but I think the other thing to do is create a friendship, create friends around the world. Uh, the list of countries, uh, as I mentioned before, are mostly buyer nations, but uh, there's a saying that when trade crosses country boundaries, armies don't. I think you could add to that uh, immigrants don't either. So I think... Right. A critique I would have of this, or of generally bringing manufacturing home to the U.S., is there are also advantages to the U.S. of sourcing from other countries and having strong relationships with as many countries as we can. Um, and I would say, this is probably controversial, but I would say including China, I think it's a mistake uh, to make turn China. I think we have more to gain from being friends with China than being enemies. Right. So um, if I were to think about possibly a critique of this, I think more focus on not just domestic production, but the advantages to the U.S. of um, being part of the global economy and sourcing from lots of countries, keeping good relations with those countries. And to the extent we develop the economy, in you know central south america that reduces immigration which is a, another big headline item how do you think then that some of the issues the geopolitical issues factor in to the build out of those relationships and and trying to you know make sure that you have uh strong supply but also supply chain as well yeah, I think, as I said before, when I lo looked at the list of countries involved in this initiative, I would add to that list less developed nations, uh, which are important to developed nations as a source of low-cost supply. Certainly the pandemic uh, brought a lot of these issues to the forefront. And I guess the question is, as we continue to build this out, how much advancement do you think there needs to be in a lot of these processes about connection on supply, supply chain, et cetera, 
you know, were we already having to head that direction before the pandemic in the first place? Um, we were, and amongst supply chain uh, professionals, I would say it's, uh, dealing with supply chain disruptions is something that's been on their agenda for 20 or 30 years. Uh, and really, Dan, what caused that is the global economy, uh, which began, I, I would uh, cite the recognition of, of China at the end of 1979, it's really opening up a huge source of low-cost supply. And as a result, supply chains went from pretty local sourcing to, you know, instead of getting something from 100 miles away, you're getting it from halfway around the world. And that's when you realize that it was low-cost, but it was also very vulnerable. There's a, a person, Edwin Kay, has a remarkably diverse uh, career. He's um a colleague of mine uh, has an adjunct appointment in our department, but in prior life, he headed up sourcing for Walmart. So he was literally sourcing a billion dollars a day, a huge, huge supply chain. And he said his day began every morning, 7 a.m., dealing with disruptions, everything from a fire in a factory, bad weather, strikes, political, political coups. Uh, so that's been going on for a long time. What brought it home, front page news, was COVID, right? That's when yeah. you would see literally newspaper uh, showing pictures of empty shelves in grocery stores. Um, and then that directly linked to inflation. Uh, food, For example, food prices during COVID went from an uh, average increase of 2% to 11%. So right. it was, I think, COVID... And, you know, Dan, careful what you wish for. All my career, I've pretty much labored in obscurity, studying supply chains. Yeah. And suddenly it became front-page news, but not exactly good news. <laughs> sure, yes. Overnight, everything changed. Marshall, thank you very much for your time today. All the best to you, sir. Okay, thank you. Marshall Fisher, Professor of Operations Information and Decisions here at the Wharton School. To explore more content from the Wharton School, visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu.